Come on, raise your voice a little louder. Say, and give a great God some great praise in his house tonight. If you love him, give him praise. If he's blessed you, give him praise. If he's healed you, give him praise. Most importantly, if he's saved your soul, give him praise in the house tonight. Let the people of God praise his holy name. Good to see you. Welcome to night one of the Return Revival. I believe it's going to get better night after night after night. So I hope, hope whatever you're planning to do tomorrow, if it's not being here, I hope you'll cancel it and come back and be with us. I believe these three days soaking in the presence of God is is going to be so monumental for us. And, and you don't know this, but I've been dreaming about the, you in here and in this setting for six months. When, when, they, when they first closed down the church in March, and we had to have the first, our first Sunday out on the parking lot, I stayed up all night crying because it hurt me that the church was being closed by the government. It hurt me. And every week out there hurt me because my life has been saved by the church of Jesus Christ. My depression has been broken. And service is just like this. What medicine couldn't fix, God healed me. In service is just like... And I, I hurt because of that. And, and, and the, first, the first Sunday in March when we had to get out on the parking lot, I came home after preaching and I said, I'm throwing a revival as soon as possible. God, give me the ability and the grace and the guests to invite. And the first name that came was Pastor Eric Moore. And what a beautiful, 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 beautiful rendering he gave us of 
worship the worship of God. And uh, tonight I'm uh, going to, on Sundays, if you've heard me preach on Sundays, a lot of times I'll say, I don't have a word for everybody, but I got a word for somebody. And tonight that's reversed. I don't have a word for somebody. I have a word for everybody. Everybody. I want to honor the bishop of this house and the founder of this house, Bishop Michael Sides. I want to honor Dr. Lincoln Coffey and Pastor April Coffey. Two of, two of, it's not even fair that they're both so gifted and yet they found each other. Two of the greatest ministers of the Lord. Thank you for being here. Malachi chapter three, don't get nervous. I ain't talking about tithing. Malachi chapter three, verse six. Malachi chapter three, verse six. Then we're going to Matthew chapter three. Malachi three, six, and then Matthew chapter three. Now I want to tell you as we're about to climb into this text that what you're reading in Malachi, number one, you're reading from the last book of the Old Testament. And so when you're reading in Malachi, what you're reading are the last words that God spoke to his people before he went silent for 400 years. Now, if you knew you weren't going to talk for 400 years, you'd probably choose your words real real careful. And I want you to listen to the, the last thing the Lord says to them. Malachi 3, 6, he says, for I am the Lord. I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. And that's a statement there. He said, if I was the kind of God that changed based off your behavior, I'd have consumed you a long time ago. Because you made promises to me that you didn't keep. You weren't faithful to me when I was faithful to you. You weren't good to me when I was good to you. And if I was the kind of God that would change, you would have been consumed. But because I do not change, you are not consumed. Yet, from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me. Oh, I'm going to say it again because it felt good. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. I'm preaching already. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Now flip over to Matthew chapter 3. And you got to understand you're flipping or you're, or you're swiping by 400 years of silence. And go to Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's all say that together. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's say it again. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
Last thing God spoke to him in the book of Malachi, return to me and I'll return unto you. 400 years of silence. First thing God says in the New Testament, return to me and I will return to you. Verse seven says, John saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptisms. And he said to them, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Hallelujah. I want to preach to you from just a simple, just piece of this text in verse two of the book of Matthew chapter three. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God, help us tonight and bless us as we consider your word. Bless all those in the house. Bless all those who are joining this conference by live stream. Let your anointing and the strength that your word carries minister to your people and touch your preacher while you're at it, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Won't you give two or three people an elbow and just tell them it's good to see you in the house of the Lord tonight. The power of a statement is often regulated by the silence that preceded it. I'm going to say it again because you were still loving on your neighbor. The, the power of a statement is regulated by the silence that preceded it. If you're a person that talks all the time, your words lose their force and they lose their weight. However, if you're around somebody that almost never talks, when they finally do speak up, you stop and you listen. Our scripture reference tonight is a short one, a simple statement, but what makes it so electrifying is the 400 years of silence that preceded it. 400 years is a long time for God to stay quiet. Since the entrance of his word brings light, 400 years of no word means 400 years of no light. The last word from God to the people in Malachi chapters 3 and 4, the last chapters of the Old Testament, God gives them what's known in theology as the return plea. He begs them over and over again, return to me, come back to me, get right with me again. But his pleas fell on deaf ears and they refused to amend their path. They refused to change their course and they continued to drift further and further from God. And when they did, God stopped talking to them. And when God stopped talking to them, their nation fell apart. Division and hatred begin to split the nation down the middle. Their economy weakened. 
their military fell apart. They lost their national sovereignty and began to be subject to other nations' interference and influence. They had forgotten as a people and as a nation that no matter how strong they were in the past, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord guard the tower, the watchman lies awake in vain. And leaving God had cost them their identity. You see, these people weren't a people before they started following after God. The thing that made Israel distinct among the other nations of the world is that they were the people known for the presence of God and the word of God. In fact, if you trace them back to their origin, the only reason they started as a nation is God took a Gentile man named Abraham who happened to have faith in his word and God walked with him and turned him into the father of the Jewish nation. But now they're leaving the one that fathered them. They're distancing themselves from the source of their identity. And when your identity is founded on God, when you lose God, what are you anyway? Playing around with heathens costs them their identity. Trying to fit in and be liked by people that didn't even believe God themselves had cost them their identity. Compromising their morals and their standards and their integrity had cost them their identity. And as a result, they stumbled into 400 years of the silence of God. 400 years. God hadn't been silent that long since back in Exodus. You remember when the Hebrews were in Egyptian bondage and slavery for 400 years and, and God didn't say nothing during the whole time. And now we're in Malachi, the end of the Old Testament, and they're entering into another 400 years of silence from God. But in both cases, both in Exodus and in Malachi, any time you see a long protracted period of silence from God, whatever word breaks the silence. Oh, you don't hear me yet. I said, whatever word breaks the silence will also bring revival. So pay attention to me. We got two periods of 400 years of silence, one in Exodus, one in Malachi. Let's go back to Exodus. When God decided to break his silence in Exodus, God broke his silence with a word spoken to a man named Moses. And the word was simple. God said, tell Pharaoh that I am that I am said to let my people go. And when Moses walked in there and he released that word, that word unleashed revival in Egypt. Revival broke out until the nation was taken over by plagues. Revival broke out until their water turned into blood. Revival broke out until locusts swarmed in and you couldn't even move. Revival broke out until the Passover was instituted. The death angel had to skip over them. Revival broke out until the Red Sea parted and they walked through 
on dry shot. Revival broke out to the point that the Egyptians gave the Hebrews all of their silver and all of their gold and all of their clothes, all because of a revival started by a word after a long season of silence. That's what happened in Exodus when the silence was broken. But now when we fast forward to Malachi, we see them ending the Old Testament, stepping out of that and stepping into silence, into the gap between dispensations. Every real revival, if you want to trace it, Every real revival, because not everything that's advertised as one is one. Every real revival will always lead to a manifestation of the kingdom of God. I'm going to say it over here because you didn't hear me. Every real revival, if it is legitimate in nature, will always lead to a manifestation of the kingdom of God. So, Pastor Eric, how do I know that in Exodus, when the word of God came, that it was a real revival? Because after he took them through the Red Sea and got them in the wilderness, he gave them the Ten Commandments. He gave them the law. He set up a tabernacle. He set up a redemption system. He told Moses, build it on earth after the pattern that is in heaven. He instituted a kingdom system where they could be sanctified, forgiven of their sins, where they could be restored. He instituted a kingdom system where they could be blessed with no natural circumstances to explain it. Because when God sets up a kingdom system, you don't need man to be your supply anymore. How do I know it was real revival? Because when they got out in the wilderness with no grocery stores, because there was a kingdom system in place, bread started raining down out of the heaven, and water started coming out of rocks, and quail started blowing in in the evening. Because when you are in a kingdom system, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches. How do I know, Pastor Tracy, they were in a kingdom system? Because the Bible said they walked through the wilderness for 40 years, but their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. And there was not one feeble one among them. That's a manifestation of the kingdom of God. If it's real revival, if it's a real word that breaks the silence and the silence breaking brings a revival, you'll always see the manifestation of the kingdom. That's what he did. He sent a revival, set up a kingdom in Exodus. But then, after 400 years of silence from Malachi to Matthew, God breaks the silence again. And he does it through a prophet named John the Baptist who steps onto the scene and breaks the silence with a word. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, John the Baptist, miracle baby. His mama had two things going on. Number one, she was barren. Number two, 
she's older than dirt. But if she wasn't older than dirt, when she was young, she was still barren. And so all of the natural circumstances say it is impossible for you to have a baby, but God will never allow your circumstances to determine his fruitfulness in your life. When God decides to bless you, the circumstances don't have to agree with it. When God decides to bless you, doctors don't have to agree with it. When God decides to bless you, man doesn't have to sign off on it. When God wants to bless you, he'll give you an out-of-season miracle, a ridiculous miracle, a miracle that makes people walk away shaking their heads when God decides to bless you. Is there anybody in here that's ever been blessed with something ridiculous that makes no sense? You look at it, you just scratch your head and say, I know that was. Then you ought to give him a praise. I said you ought to give him a praise. You ought to let your mind go back to that time he blessed you. Something that made no sense and you ought to give him a. She's older than dirt and barren in a society that places high esteem on having children. So she's felt less than all of her life. And in her old age, she gets pregnant. And she gets so excited. She runs all through the village telling everybody she can, God gave me a baby in my old age. God healed my body in my old age. God gave me a time-defying miracle. Somebody's going to get one of those this weekend. A time-defying miracle. She, she's telling everybody that she can. But, but then Josephus, the Bible historian, says that uh, Elizabeth went into quarantine. For six months. Because she had been telling everybody, I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant, I'm having a baby. But Josephus said that as the days, weeks, and months went by, she felt no movement. She knew she was pregnant, but there was no kicking, no churning, no fluttering, no natural signs that would give an expecting mother any proof that the baby was alive. So she knew she was carrying something, but it was awful still. And so as a result of embarrassment and as to not have to answer all the questions, she locked herself up in her house in quarantine for six months. All because the belly was too still. Too still. Six, six months, you know, like March, April, May, June, July, and August. Six months. Ah, but the Bible says, Brother Larry, that at the end of six months, 
Oh, while Elizabeth was in quarantine, her little cousin Mary came knocking at her door and she's, she said, Cousin Lizzie, I heard you're carrying a miracle baby and I, I wanted to come visit you and let you know that I'm carrying a miracle baby too. And the Bible said when she went and embraced Elizabeth, the Bible said when their bellies touched that the life that was in one baby, ah, I said when their bellies touched, if the anointing is tangible, then it is transferable. I said when their bellies, the Bible said John, who had been still for six months, started leaping. I came to tell somebody this has some stuff on the inside of you that's been still for six months. You were going to start that business and then the pandemic came. You were going to step out in faith and try something and then the pandemic came and it seemed like the dream that was birthed inside of you has been still and not moving for the last six months. But God said it's about to jump again. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you are in the room. But the word of the Lord to you is, it's about to jump again. I said it's about to jump again. I said it's going to jump again. You want to try it by faith right where you are. You want to try it online. Watch it in your house. You are going to jump again. John, John the Baptist, incidentally, the first revival in the New Testament. Incidentally, the first miracle Jesus performed wasn't turning water into wine. The first miracle was bringing something everybody thought was dead back to life and making it jump again. The first miracle was a revival. That's what, that's what revival means, is to bring something back to life that was either dead or on the brink of death. So it's that John who was quickened by the Holy Spirit when Jesus touched him. It's that John that our text is writing about. The same John who when he was born, his family wanted him to be named after his father, Zacharias Jr. God said, no, his name is going to be John. They said, what? No one in the family has ever been called by that name. In other words, this family does not have a historical reference point for naming this kid 
John. And God said, what I'm about to do in this next move, you don't have a name for. You ain't ever been called what I'm about to do in your life. Nobody in your past has ever seen what I'm about to do in your life. Nobody in your family has ever seen the kind of move I'm about to do in your life. The next move will not just be the regurgitation of a previous move of God. The next move will be something with a new name. You're the first one in your family that's ever going to see anything like what God's about to do for you. You're the first one in your family line, in your generations, that's going to see the thing that God is about to do for you. It's got a new name. John, born out of a miracle. John, resurrected from the dead. John, given a brand new name to characterize his assignment as a revolutionary and one who would call people to return back to God. It is that John who breaks the silence of God in the earth and says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now repent. Everybody just say it. Don't let it get stuck in your throat. Just repent. That's a word we don't like a whole lot. We don't hear it in church as much anymore. People have kind of a low tolerance for it. The God people want to hear about today is a God that allows you to stay in your sins and do whatever you want to do and still pats you on the head and blesses you anyway. Live any way you want to, any how you want to, and God just winks at you and says it's okay. After all, we're all covered by grace. It don't matter how you live. It don't matter what your character is or your morals is. It don't matter if you don't even have to believe what you say. All covered by grace, right? Really, we don't want a God. We want a divine Santa Claus to give us what we want, when we want it, and expect nothing from us in return. I knew you would shout right there. We want success without sacrifice. We want revival when we feel dry, but we don't want repentance. But the reality is you can never have real revival without first having real repentance. You can have some amazing church services without repentance, but you'll never have real revival without first... having repentance. He said, repent because you're doing what you like, but you don't even like what you're doing anymore. Repent because you're going home and crying about things that you chose to do. Repent because you quote a bunch of scriptures. You don't halfway live. This is going to be the rough part of the service. Repent. That's what John is saying. Repent. You know, or because the person you're sleeping with isn't your spouse. Repent. Because serving the Lord has become burdensome for you. 
Instead of joyful obedience, now you loathe serving in the position that God and his grace called you to and have the nerve after serving the Lord to go home and complain about it and say you wish you didn't have to do it and you're thinking about quitting every week and you tell everyone that will listen to you what a burden coming to the house of the Lord is. He said you've lost your mind. Repent. Repent because you honor God with your mouth while in your heart you hate your neighbor. Repent because you come and serve in the church and shout and shake hands with the preacher and go home and beat your wife. That's the kind of message John was preaching. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, when we do, on the occasions that we do, hear good messages about repentance, the problem with it is, it's often left in the moral sphere. Everything I just talked about during that little montage, all related directly to morality. But the problem is, repentance is not limited to just morality. How do I know that he's talking about more than morality? Well, let's do a case study in the scripture. Jonah went to Nineveh and he preached repentance, focusing only on the moral side of it. Because Nineveh was the most immoral city almost taking over Sodom and Gomorrah. God said, I'm going to destroy Nineveh like I destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah if you don't go there and preach repentance. Now, the irony is, Jonah is a backslidden preacher himself. That needs to repent. Sometimes God will send you somebody to help you that's been bit by what you've been bit by. But I digress. Jonah backslidden himself, stumbles off of the boat that he didn't want to be on and preaches repentance from a moral perspective. And because it was a word for God, because he preached it so powerfully, the whole city of Nineveh got on its face, started fasting and praying, put on sackcloth and ashes and repented before the Lord. So how do I know that John's repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand is not just talking about morality. Because when John preached his message, the society, by and large, ignored it. So either John failed in breaking the silence with a real word from God, or he was talking about something more than morality. The word repentance in the Greek that John used, the purest form of the translation is to change your mind. Oh, I feel the glory of the Lord. So it's not, it, it does include morality, but it's not just about morality. The heavy emphasis on it is change your mind, change the way you think. 
it, it doesn't just mean, some people would say that repentance means to have sorrow over sin, but that's not what John is talking about. Real change doesn't come from being sorry over sin. There's a whole lot of people that are sorry over things they don't intend to change. Y'all gonna leave me out there. You ever said sorry for something you went right back and did again? You ever cried at the altar saying, God, please forgive me, and the next week you were out doing the same thing again? Being sorry is not repentance. Crying is not repentance. What John's talking about is you need to change your mind. You've lost your way, not just of walking morality, but you've lost your way of thinking. Your paradigm is off. Your lenses are cloudy. You're not seeing things the right way. So he said, change your mind. Now, this message from John is directed at a culture that was utterly divided. The politics of the nation at the time were commingled and mixed with religion. That means that the government had gotten involved in the church. And the church had gotten involved in the government. To the point where you could not tell where one ended and the other began. In that day, there were two Big political parties, one on the left and one on the right, and they were both vying for the support and the vote of everybody in the middle. The party on the right was known as the Pharisees. They were conservative in nature. They accepted the Torah only as the legitimate word of God. They placed an extreme importance on excessive strict morality. So much so that it made all of them hypocrites. Jesus said so. Because they ascribed and preached laws in public that were so strict, they couldn't even keep them. And while they beat their drum of moral integrity and honor to the absolute letter of the law of the Torah, they were insensitive and did not care about the social destruction happening to the people in the streets. On the other side, there was the Sadducees, the more liberal party. They like to mix the word of God like most Christians like to do today. Little bit of Christianity and a, a little bit of philosophy. A, a little bit of Christianity on Sunday and I make sure I read my horoscope on Monday. A, a, a little bit of listening to the prophet and a little bit of calling the psychic. It was an unholy mixture with no strong doctrinal values. It was the... 
the Sadducees. They were looser morally than the Pharisees and live kind of any way you want to live as long as you support the cause. And, uh, but they were more sensitive to the social plights of the people. And into this environment where they were literally almost at a civil war level of tension. Into this environment, the strongest preacher with the strongest anointing and the strongest word that the nation has seen in 400 years comes on the scene. And they both come up to him trying to get him to endorse their party. Because if you haven't noticed, both sides always want to claim that they're the side that God is on. And you couldn't possibly be a real believer if you don't vote the way I vote. Or you couldn't possibly be a devoted Christian if you didn't believe the way I believe about social issues. So the right and the left, the Pharisee and the Sadducee, the conservatives and the liberals come to John and he looks at them in our text. I read to you and he tells them both, you need to repent, you brood of vipers. You're both telling lies. You're both committing sins. You've both fallen short of the glory of God. He says, how dare you try to claim that you are the descendants of Abraham. God can make his descendants come out of these stones. Back to where you came from, you lying brood of vipers. This anointing's not for sale or your endorsement. tells them both repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and when I read about it it seems like there is synergy between the pages of my Bible and the pages of our newspapers it seemed like what's playing out we've already heard about it before and he looks at both sides neither endorsing the Pharisees or the Sadducees and he says repent and then he turns to the people and he tells them both of these houses I'll say to you what he said to them both of these houses are built on sinking sand both of these houses are institutions destined to crumble. Both of these houses have sinned and rubbed it in the face of God. Both of these houses are totally inept at keeping their promise of salvation to you. See, the political parties were telling the people, if you'll trust us, 
We'll make the nation better. If you'll trust us, we'll make your finances better. If you'll just trust us and vote for us, we'll make your family better. If you'll just trust us and vote for us, we'll make the racial tensions better. If you'll just trust us, we'll fix everything. And John said, no, no, no. You're all liars. Your house is going to fall. And your house is going to fall. If you want your life to get better, if you want your nation to be healed, if you want your economy to be restored, if you want your family to live in harmony, he said you must repent for the kingdom of heaven. In other words, John was saying, I know where the real help comes from. In this climate where everybody's saying, trust me, vote for me, co contribute to me, help me. I will lift mine eyes to the hills from where my help comes from. My help cometh from the Lord. He said, it's going down. It's going to sink. It's going to break. But if you'll repent, the kingdom of heaven is. In other words, that statement was in response, okay, or that truth was in response to the lie of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're not going to solve your problems. They're not going to save your life. But if you repent, the kingdom of heaven is here. Now, let me work that. Change your mind. Let's, let's take the repent word you hate so much. Just, just look. To, to change your mind. For the kingdom of heaven is here. It's at hand. It's right. It's within arm's reach. He's revealing prophetically that the entrance of Jesus introduced not only a savior, folks, but a new kingdom. A kingdom that we don't have to die to operate in. Oh, you don't hear me. I tired you out. Jesus introduced a way that people that believe in him could be in this world, but at the same time, not of. That's what ignited hatred. That's why they started trying to kill Jesus Christ when he was two years old. Because it was prophesied that he was a king. And wherever you have a king, there's a kingdom. Jesus was going to make it possible for those that believe in him to defy the rules of the kingdoms of this world and get life and get everything they needed in life without having to access the world's kingdom. Oh, and the kingdoms of this world 
hated Jesus for it, persecuted Jesus for it, but they could not do anything to stop it. And what Jesus did was he instituted a way that what you cannot accomplish in the world's kingdom, if you are in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven will override the kingdoms of this world and get you things that it didn't make no sense for you to get. The kingdoms of this world said if you're guilty, you ought to be punished. But when you step into the kingdom of heaven, Paul said in this God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners and yet guilty, Christ died for the ungodly. You get that in this kingdom. You go into the world's kingdom, they said you can't get this job. Because you ain't got the education. You step into the kingdom of heaven, the favor of God hits your head, and all of a sudden heaven overrules what earth said no to, and you start walking around with a job you don't have the education or the certificate or the qualifications for. Has God ever blessed you with something you didn't qualify for? I said, has God ever blessed you with something you know you didn't qualify for? Walking around with a car, they told you there's no way they could approve the loan. Walking around living in a house, they told you there's no way you're somebody like you'll ever be able to get into a house. And there you are going to sleep in that house tonight because the kingdom of heaven overrode what the kingdom of earth said was impossible. Somebody ought to give God a praise if you're in the kingdom. Seem like you forgot all the things that the kingdom got you. Seem like you forgot all the blessings the kingdom brought to you. It's the clash of kingdoms. That's why Jesus said the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. But the violent take it by four. I'm telling you, the things in the kingdom tonight you can take. There's things in the kingdom you don't have to ask for. There's things in the kingdom that have already been provided that all you have to do is take it by the force of faith. The clash of kingdoms is what is going on in the text. And John says, Repent for the kingdom of I don't think you understand what I'm saying. The, the kingdoms of this earth, of this world, they have authority, they have power. Okay. They had me in three million dollars of medical debt for my son that spent six months in the neonatal ICU on life support. $3 million. The kind of experimental surgeries. We were the first laser deep brain surgery that happened in San Antonio, Texas. The equipment alone to bring in was $7 million. And when I got in that much debt, the system had me. 
anybody go to college because they promised you if you get this degree, you'll get out and make a lot of money. And you take that student loan and you put your time in and you study in and then you graduate and all of a sudden nobody no longer wants to hire the field that now you are a master in and you're stuck in the system of a student loan debt that is laboring and weighting you down. The system can grab you. Credit cards, easy to get them so you can charge them up, ruin your credit. And sometimes for the next 10 or 15 years of your life, you're stuck in the systems of this world. The system's powerful. The medical system told me my son was going to be severely disabled, never walk, never talk, never use the bathroom on his own, never know I was his father. They told me he was going to be a vegetable. They gave me pamphlets of little chairs I could operate around and, and, and constant care living homes where he could be raised. That's what the best of the world system had to offer me. But when they gave me that information, I stepped out of their kingdom real quick and I stepped into... You don't hear me. I'm talking about a kingdom. You can instantaneously, even though you live in this world, you can instantaneously step in to another kingdom. I stepped out of their kingdom and I entered the kingdom of heaven and I did it real quick. All you have to do is say the name of Jesus Christ in faith. That's what the Bible says. Jesus said when you want to go to the Father, he's only a name away. Just don't use your name. But whatever you ask the Father in mind. I feel a praise in the room. I feel a breakthrough in the room. I feel a shout in the room. Somebody is stepping into another kingdom. Step into it. That's who's always caught in the crossfire between big polarized political movements. That's who always gets the collateral damage and the hurt. It's always the people. And I tell you this, God, argue with me if you want, I'll destroy you with Bible. God, listen to me, Democrats and Republicans and independents. God does not care about your institution. God does not care about your party. God is, however, intimately concerned 
with people. And so we got tired of being silent. He thought they had had enough discipline. And he raises up a miracle baby named John. It's the forerunner of Jesus Christ. Sends him into the wilderness and trains him in a desert. And then back, he sent him to the wilderness so that their establishments would not pollute him. Sometimes people tell you, you're the best kept secret. I wish people were more exposed to you. Why aren't you more famous? Why don't you write a book? Why aren't you out there more? Why aren't you doing this? You got so much gifting. Why aren't you doing that? Sometimes God hides you for a reason. Oh, preach to yourself, Jason. I said, sometimes God hides you. Ask Moses. Ask Jesus when they took him to Egypt. Ask John the Baptist. Sometimes God hides you. So God hit him so he would not be polluted by their poison. And then at the right time sends him back into the cesspool of their doing. And he looks at them and he looks at them and everyone in the middle and says, repent. Just change your mind. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it sounds so simple. I'm sure when he offered that as a solution, they looked at him like you just looked at me. You mean to tell me all the trouble I'm going through? You mean to tell me all the hell I'm going through in my home? You mean to tell me all the hell I'm going through in my finances? You mean to tell me all the hell I'm going through with the sickness in my body? You're telling me that that could all be solved if I would just repent? Medicine's not good to you, but it's good for you. I wondered how you would respond when I gave you the medicine. I saw in my mind courses of rows of the congregation slowly drifting to their seat because I've seen it all of my life in ministry. When you excite people, they will give God praise. When you challenge people with the actual thing that will solve the problem they're facing, they will look at you like a horse staring at a new gate, like you've totally lost your mind. And maybe that's why we're not more successful. And maybe that's why most of our families in this nation are falling apart. And maybe that's why abuse is at an all-time high. And maybe that's why a disgusting crime like sex trafficking is on the pages of our newspapers and flashed across our media screen. Something that's unimaginable to most people is happening in greater numbers every single day. Why? Because we don't like to be told it's time. It's time to repent. Now, 
So let's talk about that. What makes repentance so difficult? I'm going to say it again. What makes repentance? You know, us doing the stuff we know God told us to do anyway. What makes repentance so very difficult? Well, your actions are the children of your thoughts. And your thoughts are the result of your past experiences or past exposures. So, so in other words, your mind is just a collection of your experiences. And because of the many experiences you have had, you have formed a particular thought pattern or paradigm. In other words, you think the way you think because you've been through the things you've been through. Or you think like you do now because of all the things that happened in the past. If English is your first language, you didn't learn it. You caught it. Nobody took you in a class and taught you how to speak English. You caught it because of the environment that you were submerged in. If you learned a second language, it was probably really difficult and they had to teach it to you because they were taking something new that was foreign to you and trying to introduce it into your mind. They were trying to reshape your thought patterns about language and speaking. And it's hard to do that because your mind is conditioned by what you've experienced, by what you went through, by how you were raised and who raised you, by what school you went to. Your mind and your paradigms have been shaped. So, you believe the way you believe, think the way you think, behave the way you behave, vote the way you vote. Because of your past experiences and your exposure. You and another person who's voting for another party could be looking at the same issue and both of you are being 100% honest. Both of you are being 100% sincere, but you both have polarizing views of the issue. Why? Because you have different experiences and exposure. So when he says, repent, change your mind, the reason it's problematic to leave repentance in the realm of morals is when most of us try to repent, we just try to stop doing something. And when you try to just stop doing something, it's like you're taking off running from something while at the same time carrying it in your mind. So... Real repentance is impossible without a vision. If I set something in front of you you've never experienced in the past, if I set something in front of you that you don't have a point of reference for, and then I tell you to change your mind to that, you may have the past pulling on you. But now you got the future and possibility 
pulling on you too. So that's the brilliance of John's simple message. He says, repent, but then he instantly pulls out for the kingdom of heaven. It's at hand. You want it? It's right in front of you. Here, you want to try it? You ain't got no past experience with this. Not really. You got religion. You got church. But that ain't what I'm talking about. I'm talking about actually stepping into the real and the raw kingdom of heaven. And I expected you would respond like that. So, in closing... Many of us have spent so much time in the kingdoms of this world that we have forgotten what the kingdom of heaven really is. So as I close this message, a brief definition of the actual kingdom of heaven. We are a kingdom, number one, of faith, not fear. step on anybody's toes certainly not in the room or watching online but a lot of people say they have faith with their mouth but James said if you have real faith show me your works in other words your actions your attitudes your dispositions and your beliefs about things are the true measure of whether you have faith not just simply because you said it the same truth incidentally works for fear. You can say, I don't have any fear about this thing. But the way you're acting, the way you're walking around, the way you're talking on social media, the way you're talking with your coworkers, the way you get pulled into all those conversations, you're proving that you actually do have fear regardless of how much you talk about you don't. Let me just give you this real quick. The kingdom of heaven has a quick entrance and a quick exit. When I say a quick exit, I don't mean you're going to hell. I mean you're just stuck operating in the natural system you've been operating in most of your life. The quick entrance to the kingdom of heaven is faith in the name of Jesus. The quick exit to the kingdom of heaven is fear. I know you don't like it, but the Bible still says... Let not a double-minded man think he receive anything from God. So either God is God enough to heal you. Oh, it's my church. It's my revival. I'm going to preach my message. He's either God enough to heal you or he's not. He's either God enough to cover you or he's not. He's either God worthy to be praised in his sanctuary or he is not. Let the double-minded decide. I say to you like Isaiah said. I say to you like Elijah said. How long will you falter between two opinions? If God is God, let him be. But, Pastor David... says Pastor David, but the government, if 
God be, I don't mean to quote the Bible, if God be for you, he is more than the world. So do whatever you're going to do. Just don't do it in fear. God has not given us in this kingdom a spirit fear. You know how you attract spirits? You praise them. Enemy, Pastor Rico, can't create anything. The devil is a thief and a robber. He is only able to take what he saw God institute as law in the spirit realm and pervert it. God's spirit is drawn and inhabits the praises of his people. Satan saw that and said, okay, I'll tap into the same frequency. And whenever you start praising a virus... Whenever you put it in your media 24 hours a day, seven days a week, inflate the infection counts. Whenever you tell everybody that they're going to die if they go to work and if they go to school and sure as much if they go to church. When you do all of that and you pump a society full of fear, you don't realize that what you've done is you have sung the praises of a prince demon. You know what's happening to everything except the first few rows in here? In the last days, they will heap upon themselves teachers having itching ears, not being able to stand. This is a kingdom of faith, not fear. Number two, this is a kingdom of increase, not decrease. I don't care who wins the election. I don't care what happens to the Dow or the economy. I don't care what happens in corporate America. Everything else around the kingdom may decrease, but if you are in the kingdom, this is a kingdom of increase, not let God arise and his enemies be scattered. Let God arise. Finally, this is a kingdom of joy. Romans 14, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but joy, peace, life in the Holy Ghost. This is a kingdom of blood-bought, Holy Ghost-filled, water-baptized believers that know that if God is on our side, the enemy is a fool for standing up against us. This is a kingdom where we win every time because God has given us dominion and authority over the kingdom of darkness. God has given us power to tread on serpents and scorpions, viruses and diseases. This is a kingdom of champions. Stand to your feet and give God a praise. Stand to your feet and give God a praise. Oh, Jesus. Oh, 
Jesus. I just felt a breakthrough coming to this room. I just felt somebody changing their mind. I just felt somebody repenting before God. I just felt somebody stepping out of one kingdom and stepping into another. I just felt a shift in my spirit. I wish somebody would praise the Lord. I wish somebody would travail in Zion. I wish somebody would say, oh! from God torn off the pages of scripture and applied to the times in 2020 can be that relative is as if it's for somebody tonight somebody in here is on the wrong road it may be moral it may not be it may be that you have the wrong paradigm or the wrong system of lenses for the purpose God calls you to complete it may be that you didn't make it to your wilderness of hiding fast enough and you got polluted early on when you were little along the way. But I tell you what I believe. I don't believe you came here tonight because you've been cooped up for six months. I don't believe you came here tonight even just because somebody invited you. I believe you came here tonight up under the direction of a divine orchestrator who orders your steps and knows your way. And I believe from the bottom of my heart, he wanted me to say to you from him, repent for the kingdom of heaven. All the possibilities of the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you've been hurting with that turmoil and You've been struggling with that trial and you've been looking through your life to find all the reasons to explain it away and God says to you tonight no just just repent repent on the floor repent in the balcony repent in the foyer repent in the studio repent that's the message change your mind for the kingdom of heaven is here while I've been speaking this word, the Holy Spirit's been doing his own work. He's been going through the rows and the aisles and highlighting things to each of you that you need to change. Your trajectory, the place you're destined to end up is dependent upon a change right now. The opportunities and the doors that should open for you in the future are dependent upon a turn, a turn. A change in direction. It may be morals, sins on the outside. It may be mental and spiritual sins on the inside. It may just be the wrong pattern of thinking or the paradigm. But if you have a sense 
with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you have the subtle, gentle conviction of the Holy Spirit that something's not right in you and that something needs to change, would you just slip your hand up all over this house? If God was talking to you tonight, would you just slip your hand up all over this house? If you got your hand up anywhere in this room, come find a place in this altar. This is your time now. This is your church now. You can lay on this altar. You can lay on the floor. You can stand up by yourself. You can drag a chair up here. You can take your shoes off. You can do whatever you want to do. But if you want to get something right with God tonight, if God sent you his word tonight and you know there's some things that need to change, maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in your money. Maybe it's with your kids. Maybe it's in your personal life. Maybe it's in your habits. Maybe it's in your home. Whatever it is, wherever it is, repent for the kingdom of heaven. For the kingdom of heaven. Oh, it's here. It's here. Elders, elders, begin to minister to the people of God. We're going to come pray with you. We're not just going to pray for you. We're going to pray with you that the kingdom would manifest, that the kingdom would manifest. If it's a real turn and a real change, it'll bring a real manifestation of the kingdom.
of your God be upon you tonight. The grace and forgiveness of your God be upon you as you repent and return to him. May the refreshing, the scripture says repent and the times of refreshings will come upon you from the Lord. May the refreshing of the Lord God come upon you. May the beauty of the Lord begin to manifest in your life, in your decisions in your strength, in your strength, in your strength. My sister, hold on, hold on, hold on. If you could raise your hands. My sister, you've taken some big hits. I see like four broken plates in your life plates that were beautiful and established that have just fallen into pieces. But the Lord says to you tonight, I will restore the years that the locusts ate up. I will restore the years that your joy was taken. I will restore the years. I will turn your ashes into beauty. I will turn your sorrow into joy. And I will give you the oil the oil of joy in the name of Jesus father let it start tonight let it start tonight let it start tonight and father father for my brother here in the name of Jesus Lord you see it all you see every piece of it thank you for a manifestation of the kingdom in his life thank you for strength out of strange places thank you for strength that makes no sense to have Thank you for miracles, signs, and wonders. Thank you, Lord, that you're still the God that proves yourself over and over again as the God of the impossible. Thank you, Lord. Better days. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for stronger days. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, by the word of Jesus and the blood of Jesus, thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this life. 
thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in her mind and her emotions, her memories. Thank you, Lord, for what you're working out. Thank you, Lord, for peaceful sleep like she hasn't had for years. Thank you, Lord, for friends that will be around her that won't drain her but will help hold her up. Thank you, Lord, for blessing her from the top of your head to the sole of your feet. We speak the blessing of the Lord in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And we speak it over you. We speak it over you. We speak it over you. I said we speak it over you. That when you leave here tonight, you go home and lay down. You lay down in a new kingdom. When you wake up, you wake up in a new kingdom. And God will begin to strengthen all that pertains to you. I got to let you go tonight because... To be honest with you, I, I want you to come back tomorrow. It's going to be powerful tomorrow, and I don't want you to miss it. But I want to tell you, I want to tell you, there's one more attribute of the kingdom that Jesus talked about. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a man that sowed seed in his field. And he didn't know how it happened or when it happened, but suddenly a sprout began to spring up, and then a leaf, and then a stalk, and then a full ear of corn. He he sowed one thing in one form and it came back in the form of a harvest and in this kingdom the way to receive something you need is to give it's one of the laws and tenets of this kingdom God said in his word be not deceived God is not mocked whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap and I sense some needs in the room but did you know you could stand in the earth's natural world in a church service tonight and sow something into the kingdom of heaven and receive something back from the kingdom of heaven in your life it's called seed faith and it's one of the mysteries and beauties of the kingdom you know our kingdom has keys i don't mean to give you any more bible but Remember when Jesus told Peter, you got the revelation that I'm the Christ. I tell you what, I'm going to give you the, somebody that's got your keys, will you just take them out and just, just jingle them a little bit for me. Let me hear the sound of those keys just all over the building. If you got your keys, take them out. Just, just jingle them a little bit for me. Let me hear the sound of those keys. You can do it a little harder than that. Just let me hear the sound. Let me hear the sound of, let me hear the sound of, of the, that's what I hear in the spirit dropping into your hand is keys from the kingdom, kingdom authority, kingdom access, kingdom blessing. And I want to challenge you if you have a need, I want you to get a seed in your hand. I want you to get a significant offering in your hand. I'm not going to tell you what to give. You know the needs you have. Ask the Holy Spirit what you should sow. But I want to challenge you to get an envelope and, and open, just open up the face of that envelope and write down what you need out of the kingdom of heaven. It's that simple. Stand in faith and sow and believe God and watch God bring you a harvest. I've learned sowing seeds over the years that God doesn't always give me what I thought I needed, but he always gives me what I needed. And I want to challenge you to sow into this kingdom. If you're a member of this church here, it's, it's Wednesday night. If, if you want to bring your tithe, you can do that. But, but I want everybody that feels this in their spirit, that, 
that feels ministered to and stirred. I want everybody to, to get a, an envelope and, and get you a pen. Grab one from somebody and, and write something you need. Something you're believing for. Write it down and then sow it into this kingdom of God. To go towards the work of God. And watch God bring a harvest into your life. If you would prefer, you can text your gift. You can sow by texting, or if you're watching online, you can sow by giving online. There's multiple ways that you can give, but I want to encourage you to give. Get seed in the ground first night of this revival. Were you blessed by Pastor Eric Moore tonight? And his incredible team of ministers that came, y'all were amazing. All right, I know you can, you can write while you're standing up. Go ahead and stand to your feet. May the Lord your God bless you. May the Lord your God keep you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. May you go from this place strengthened and refreshed. May you sleep real good tonight. And come back tomorrow at 7 o'clock in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. If you have an offering you'd like to give, you can bring it to the front. We love you so much. We hope to see you tomorrow for Pastor Samuel Rodriguez in the house at 7 p.m. Don't miss it. Make sure to tell Pastor Moore that you love him and enjoyed his ministry tonight.